Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Hello and good evening to everyone and thanks for joining me. My name is Nimrod. Uh, I'm pleased to be spending this moment with you, uh, your favorite show. Um, I suppose the country can breathe a sign of relief, uh, you know, due to the first confinement, consignment of the vaccine that we are told has arrived. Uh, there is no doubt that the delivered vaccine will go a long way in saving millions of lives. While we appreciate none of this particular development, we must not lose sight, in my view, of the looming danger, looming and imminent danger. Uh, for we are not out of the woods yet. Uh, we just need to be more and more careful as there's so many lives that have perished right before our own eyes and sadly we could not do anything about it. Tonight's show is dedicated to DJ Flo Miandu, the producer of this particular show, whose untimely death robbed this station, a friend, a colleague, confidant, and most importantly, a father to his children, a husband to his wife, we shall miss him dearly and may his soul rest in peace. Um, shalom, my brother. As we proceed on a lighter note, I just cannot believe the jubilant move that we have seen in South Africa following the announcement by the president last night that, uh, you know, the easing of uh, lockdown, you know, uh, particularly around the, the alcohol you know, uh, restrictions that have been eased. You know, South Africans are very weird people. I promise you, you should have seen videos that have been posted, you know, how I wish we would do that kind of jubilation or express that kind of jubilation when our kids are going to school. I mean, these are adults. You know, these are mothers, brothers, cousins, and everybody else. You would expect to see that kind of excitement and the mood on on things that really matters, but anyway, it matters to to those that express that kind of excitement. But here's the thing that I want to throw in uh, as we quickly reflect on the lockdown, uh, uh, the easing of the lockdown condition. Um, the downside, in my mind, is obviously, it, it particularly in the liquor industry, you know, uh, let alone the country as a whole, is the fact that. When you look at our budget deficit last year, we lost about 63 billion rands last year. And, and the expectation is that, uh, in 2021, you know, uh, 20, 2020 and 2021 financial year, we would have uh, lost close to 370.5 billion rands in the red and still counting. And, these are kinds of issues in my mind ought to be elevated for people to think about the grim picture of the economy so that we are able to make informed decisions or rather find creative ways of expediting uh, in the kind of grim situation that we're finding. What I find most disturbing, if not bizarre, is the fact that, you know, when you hear cabinet ministers advocating for additional or extension of grant to other beneficiaries. And it's almost like we're living in a different world. Is this minister part of the cabinet that is overseeing 
the deficit or that is managing the deficit of close to 350 billion rands? Do they have the same understanding of fiscal cliff? Do they have the same understanding of inability of the current state to maneuver whatsoever? I, those are some of the questions that I have. But on the upside of the locks down, you know, imperative or consideration that the president had to take, obviously it's a loss of life because, um, you know, there's no price tag to any human life. I get it that the, the, you know, government had to, uh, you know, push a very drastic measures to try and save as many lives as possible. And there's been, there's a science behind it. You know, when you look at the overwhelming, you know, uh, concentration of or overwhelming, uh, victims due to alcohol abuse and in a context of space, you know, in a context of hospital that do not have space, one, one could get it. So it, it has been a very difficult balancing act of this particular administration. One, trying to, um, save the rent while at the same time trying to safeguard or promote lives, you know, that, that, that we all hold so dear. What are your, what are your thoughts on this, on this particular issue? I would welcome your, uh, your, your, your thoughts on 34519. That's our SMS line. The telegram is 0618951019. And of course, my Twitter handle is uh, at Bella Nimrod. Um, as we proceed, we know for the fact that COVID, you know, um, COVID-19 has dropped this country immensive opportunity that we need to, uh, completely get our head on. We must never lose sight of the bull's eye, which is unemployment, inequality, and massive poverty. Earlier on, I've illustrated the extent to which we are in the red financial-wise, and it doesn't really help when you look at the downgrading that we got that put us more and more in the red area. In response to that, the president announced the uh, reconstruction economic reconstruction uh, and development, uh, you know, uh, recovery plan, which on paper is very bold and very uh, useful to see. But is it enough? And an extent to which this bold move is being responsive to the needs of South Africans at this point in time, we all need to know. Uh, tonight I'm going to be joined online. In fact, I'm joined online by Herman Pretorius, who is the executive director uh, at the Institute for of Race Relations. He will give us their own perspective. As you could imagine, uh, the 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 position of government in relation to economic reconstruction and recovery, as expressed through the plan which the president uh, put forward, has been subject of debate. We have had. And numerous occasions on this particular show, for an example, we have had the likes of, you know, uh, Martin Kingston, who's a deputy president of BUSA, expressing a very uh, uh, tense view about the grim economic situation, as it were. We've had Bonang Mohalo, who's the chairperson of Bidwest Group and the chancellor of the University of the Free State, also echoing a similar sentiment. We also had the likes of Ellen Mukoki, who is the CEO of the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Saki, expressing 
the position of business in relation to the need to move with speed so that we're able to harness the gains that were amidst, obviously, the, the COVID uh, pandemic that we all confronted with. So those are the kind of views that you've had on this particular show over the past particular weeks. So inviting Herman uh, Pretorius also follow hot on the heels of the conversation that we've had with Helen Mashaba last week, who is the leader of FNSA as well as the deputy president of UDM. I thought, you know, they made a very fascinating, um, thought-provoking conversation that really illuminated so many areas. It was quite interesting to hear the sharpness of politicians. I, I We normally don't hold politicians in high regard, but I can tell you the caliber of input, the caliber of the conversation we have had on this particular show with the 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 deputy president of UDM, as well as Mr. Mashaba from uh, Action SA, was remarkable in so many ways. Those particular conversations obviously came at the backdrop of 10 years of massive corruption that, that we've seen in both private sector and public sector. As I already indicated, the, the deficit that we found ourselves in, let's only the government debt, uh, which is now accounting close to 70% of the GDP, and so on and so forth. So we are in a deep red. We are in a fiscal cliff. There's not enough money to do anything. You know, the kinds of uh, vaccine that we're all celebrating to, to, to get shot on, on the arm is on debt, let alone the contribution from private sector. We all need to you know, take our heads for the private sector's contribution towards this endeavor. The reality is South Africa is broke. South Africa does not have money. And and the more and more we have these kind of conversation about our financial status as a country, our debt, or the extent to which we are in a red, the better, so that we can all be on the same page in terms of the kinds of solutions that we could all bring together. On that note, let me not take this, uh, let me waste not, let me, let me not waste time and bring him in just to get a perspective from the Institute in terms of how they have conceived and their response to the, the plans that the president has put forward. Herman, good evening and welcome. Uh, Nimrod, good evening and thank you so much for, for this opportunity to, to join you on this very important topic. Thank you very much. Uh, there you are. We've got Herman Pristorius, who is the Executive Director at the Institute for Race Relations. He will be giving us their perspective on the economic reconstruction recovery plan that was ushered by the President sometime last year. As you know, the, 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 when you plan, you plan for the best, but sadly COVID came and hit so hard. Um, amidst those particular, you know, consideration, Herman, what were the salient points worthy of elevating based on what the president has presented forward? A perspective from, you know, an institute, as it were. Well, I think the first thing that we must realize is that the economic circumstances and challenges faced by South Africa were, at, you know, at most exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic and government response to it. 
um, it wasn't our economic situation wasn't uh, uh, you know the, the the precarious position we occupy uh, isn't due to the pandemic. We we must remember we entered this pandemic with massive uh, debt, uh, with record debt levels. In fact, we entered this pandemic with record unemployment, and we entered this pandemic already. Uh, heading towards, uh, uh, you know, recession in terms of GDP. So when we consider what has gone wrong economically in South Africa, we cannot blame COVID as the cause. We can, uh, of course, uh, point out that COVID has exacerbated some of the problems, but the structural deficiencies uh, that 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 were now exacerbated. Um, and, and revealed rather cruelly to the loss of uh, significant socioeconomic resources. These things go back 10 years um, and, and pre- significantly predate the COVID era. So when we consider uh, the plan of government uh, to respond to this, the, this economic reconstruction and recovery plan, from the Institute of Race Relations, I can certainly say that we went through it and we read it with a significant uh, level of disappointment uh, because this plan is simply a rehash of several iterations of the new growth path document that was published by the government in 2010. Um, the same mechanisms, the same interventions with, you know, minor deviations uh, on superficial level uh, is, is what you find in uh, iteration after iteration of government plan. And it seems to be the case that government at no point considers that possibly, you know, the course we've been charting since 2008 at least is the cause of of the economic difficulties we encountered heading into COVID and that were exacerbated by COVID and that will be even more destructive um, in, 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 you know, the months and years ahead. If you look at this plan, you see the same old solutions, solutions in inverted commas, that got us into this mess in the first place. You see a government obsessed with intervention. You see a government obsessed with spending money it doesn't have. You see a government obsessed with race-based policy. You see a government antagonistic towards business. You see a government in hoc to uh, union demands. And you see a government that wants to maintain control even at the expense of uh, lives and livelihoods in this country. So looking at this reconstruction and recovery plan of the president, um, whatever rhetoric you could cushion the intentions with, uh, the reality of the situation is that this is more of the same and it is more of what has already gotten South Africa this deep into trouble. I want us to go back to the good old days. And when I say good old days, I mean the years of the Mbeki era when we um, implemented sensible economic policy, where we saw fiscal surpluses rather than deficits, where we had a healthy relationship between uh, social grant dependence and people in employment. I want to go back to the era of three, four, five percent GDP growth that we experienced before 
the fundamental change of policy that happened um, at Polokwane in 2007. This plan is not that. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> you really... <laughs> Uh, punching holes. I, 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 but I just want to take you back to one or two issues that you had reflected on. And perhaps maybe we just need to, uh, do a bit of a interrogation on it. Firstly, uh, I mean, I think it's common cause that the, the current plan does not, does not account or does not justify the, the, the socioeconomic condition on a basis of COVID. Um, there, there's a, there, there are acknowledgement on the side of the report, um, which, which, which looks at, you know, the kind of maladministration, uh, manifesting that occurred, um, you know, uh, 10 years ago. Um, and, and hence there are instances where, um, you know, there are, there are indication of trying to redress that by looking at, for an example, the zonal commission on, on how it needs to uh, arrest, uh, the kind of rot that we saw. But be that as me, I just wanted to perhaps maybe put that out there in as much as, uh, you know, we, 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 we need to move forward. It's important for us to clarify certain issues. The other issue that I perhaps maybe want you to reflect on slightly uh, deeper. And you've said you are, you are, you were significantly disappointed, um, in the current plan as it was a rehash of the new growth path, which was um, ushered some years ago. And and there, you, I mean, you, you've just said, I mean, one of the issues that you have raised is is that the government obsession, among others, with race relation, government obsession with control. Can you perhaps maybe clarify exactly what you mean by that, so that the listeners who may want to make a contribution uh, can actually do so based on specifics in terms of your view from where you're sitting. Yes. Um, so let's look at uh, it's 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 uh, not government obsession with race relations that that um, is a problem. I work for the Institute of Race Relations. So if if anyone has an obsession with improving those, I surely wouldn't have a problem with it. It's um, government's obsession with race based. Policies, policies, um, such as BEE. Now, let, let's, let's take BEE for, for, you know, in, in, in totality and properly understand, uh, what, uh, where it comes from and, uh, what its intentions were and what its costs and results have been. So the basis of BEE is to, uh, uh, is, is stated in its, uh, in the intention of the legislation of 15 or so years ago, 16 years ago, um, that it's to uh, bring socioeconomic redress um, for black South Africans disenfranchised and uh, excluded from economic participation during apartheid. Now, with that, no one can reasonably or sensibly disagree. That must happen. The fact that black South Africans um, and uh, of course, uh, South Africans who were not white, your Indian South Africans, your colored South Africans were uh, made poor, actively disenfranchised and actively excluded from economic participation um, is is an absolute travesty that we still live with. But we must at some point realize that where the National Party government made black South Africans poor, 
the ANC government has kept South Africans poor. The basis of BEE might, in, in terms of intention, sound laudable, but it requires deeper investigation. So the first thing is the legal basis of BEE is that you can differentiate between races, that you can essentially say you are in terms of the law white and you are in terms of the law black. Now, the problem with that is the Population Registration Act of 1950, which set out to the racial classification system of black and white and colored Indian South Africans, was repealed in 1991. So the fact that BEE continues along those very same lines is a betrayal of the ANC's non-racial origins and a betrayal of the non-racial constitution we have because in BEE, we have this race uh, race classification system that really dates from the 1950s and that was ironically repealed uh, in 1991. So the ANC resurrected this Frankenstein of racism, essentially, to promote this uh, this policy. Now, let's look at what had been the costs of BEE. In terms of rands and cents, it has cost South African business and the South African economy between 1.2 and 2 trillion rand to meet the responsibilities and then here to be EE. Now, that's, that, those are trillions and trillions of rands that did not go towards job creation, that did not go towards alleviating poverty, just fees in terms of administration, legal fees, applications, PEE certifications. That's the, the, the number of lost capital and resources for BEE. Now, let's look at what we got for that. In 2004, the year before BEE was introduced as a policy, South African unemployment was 26%. In 2020, in the first quarter, before COVID-19 struck South Africa, so it's after the implementation of BEE, but before the crisis of COVID, that unemployment rate that was 26% in 2004, went up to above 30% in the first quarter of 2020. Uh, now, that's overall unemployment. Now, let's look at black unemployment specifically, because at this point, someone might say, ah, yes, but it, BEE is supposed to benefit black people. Well, in the year that BEE is introduced as a policy, 2005, black unemployment in South Africa is 31.5%. In the first quarter of 2020, after 15 years of a policy that is supposed to empower black South Africans, and in the first quarter of 2020, thus before the, the you know COVID-19 crisis hit, black unemployment rose from 31.5% to 33.8%. So in no sense do we see economic employment for South Africans broadly. Then we must look at our economic... Mm -hmm. Yes, sorry, no, I, I didn't want to go on... <laughs> no, 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 that's passion talking. Do you want a favor? Because we need to pay our bills. Can you just, uh, you know, hold that particular thought and let's get Vusi, allow us to pay our bills. We'll come back in a second on the, on the very same note that you parted on. Vusi, let's pay our bills. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making.
Welcome back uh, to Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod. If you've just joined us, we are live, uh, you know, with a very interesting uh, conversation with, um, you know, uh, you know uh, Herman Pretorius, who's an executive director at the Institute for Race Relation. We are unpacking the reconstruction, the economic reconstruction and recovery plan that was ushered by the president. Uh, and, and there are very interesting views that Hammond is sharing with us. Before you, before you went to the break, one of the issues that he had raised was the fact that the, the race classification, um, in terms of the BE was, was, was repealed back in 1991. So the ANC has continued along that particular trajectory. He also made a, a, a claim or, or an assertion that the cost of BE, uh, is amounting to about one, two, to 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 uh to one to two trillion rands uh and and we have not really got much out of that. Um Herman, that's if I if I if I if my recollection is quite well, those are the issues that you have brought to attention. And the last point that you have made is the fact that unemployment, particularly within the black community, has risen as a result of of, of this particular uh you know BEE. Okay. Am I correct to have interpreted your your, your claims? Yes, so so let me let me. I, I think I spoke too long, so let me cut to the chase so that I don't go go on so long again. I I I think I must make clear. I'm not saying that um, BEE has caused black unemployment to rise, but what I am saying is that it cost us a lot of money. Uh, it cost us a lot of opportunity. It is questionable um, at best and racist at worst. And it has done nothing to empower black South Africans and it has not improved uh, unemployment. We can look at other metrics of economic freedom and economic competitiveness by the Fraser Institute in Canada and the World Economic Forum. We are down on all the important measures. So let me bring this to the present. We see in this plan tourism identified as one of the crucial sectors for economic recovery. And part of that is the mentioning of this employ, this tourism equity fund. But the tragedy is, if we look at that fund, we find a continuation of the BEE policies that have so far failed. And we must start asking the questions, when, number one, when will the failure of a policy be enough for us to reject it? Or will we keep on going saying that, you know, rhetoric and intention is good enough? And then the second question, we should perhaps look to the work of people like Muleta Mbeki, starting to ask the question, right, if ordinary black South Africans and ordinary South Africans have not benefited from the trillions spent on BEE, where has that money gone? And I think a very good place to start looking might be the ANC caucus in Parliament or perhaps even Cabinet. That is the real question. If we are going to empower people, let's actually chase results, not just headline intention and rhetoric. A fair point, but I just want to perhaps maybe uh, re- reflect slightly different on, you know, when, when you make a policy pronouncement, as you would know, um, you know, this, the spirit and intent of the policy pronouncement is often based on real issues, i.e. inequality and redress, and obviously economic growth. That's the, that is the spirit of any policy initiative. I want you to differentiate between policy, the spirit of the policy, and implementation. And the biggest issue around implementation 
is the ability of state. The fact that we have policies that have not been fully uh, realized. In my view or in my mind, and, and, and based on a number of conversations I've had with, with, with captains of industry such as ourselves, have pointed out that we have a weak uh, state capacity. Okay, so, so that is the, there lies in the problem. It's not so much about the policy, because when you have a weak capacity of state, in terms of bureaucrats that are seasoned, that are that have a technical know-how, that um, have that that uses data and, and research to make informed decisions, we more likely to, we would have more likely to have addressed the kind of issues. From where you're sitting, to what extent do you think the capacity of the state is the main uh, problem child, if you like? Because had we had addressed that. The chances are, you know, take out the policy intention, take out the policy, but let's look, let's look at the, the architect of, of any policy. Yeah, so I, I think the first thing to note is that the pursuit of the eradication of poverty and inequality and redress is something that we all can agree on. So I've got no dispute there. The question is, do we actually achieve that? But on your question of whether the state and the, the hollowing out of the state has been a problem uh, or has been the main problem, I, I, I fundamentally disagree. Yes, of course, the hollowing out of the state has been a great problem, but the hollowing out of the state and the corruption we've seen over the last uh, 10 years specifically is an outflow of policy. If you are going to have an approach an economic policy approach where vast numbers of uh, of rands flow towards government, then you create the problem. The biggest spender becomes the biggest pot for looting. So if government is going to be very powerful and receive a lot of money and be very impactful, it is the petri dish for corruption and inefficiency to occur. I don't think the incompetence of the state great as it is, is what has held this country back. I think the incompetence of the state, great as it is, combined with the ANC and the SACP, the South African Communist Party, combined with their intention to keep the state and make the state the center of the South African economy, that is what has been the problem. If you are going to insist on having a weak creature pull a cart, then, of course, you are going to think, my goodness, this creature is weak. That's a problem. But perhaps the problem is trying to get that creature to pull the cart in the first place. President on a pause in August 2019, in response to a question from the EFF in Parliament, said he agrees with them that the state should be at the center, at the core of the South African economy. But the fundamental crisis here is that this Government placing the state there, using up taxpayer money, money, interfering with the economy, stifling the ability of the market to innovate and making millions of people dependent on social grants, almost like a drug dealer, is the problem here. If the state could step back, if the state tomorrow stopped doing half of what it was doing, the South African economy would start recovering. 
It is because the state is incompetent and because the state is places itself as the only driver of the economy that we see this catastrophic fail, if failure. If we want to see real recovery and real economic growth, we can look towards what the Mbeki government did and we will see um, fiscal responsibility. We will see, uh, in fact, a fiscal responsibility that in the year 2021 is can I, can I, can I just nowhere inter- in the world. Can I just interject there, Herman? I mean, I, I, I mean, I think the the euphoria of of you know of going back to Dalton Becky years we all yearn for. I mean, we had three four percent you know uh, GDP growth. I mean, it was all hunky dory. But the the I think but what I want to contest, what I want to contest, uh, perhaps maybe uh, you know vigorously with you, is the fact that the state. Um, when you look at the NDP, it had to be a developmental state, which we all understand that in the absence of a developmental state, we are more likely to have a porous, we more like to have imbalances in terms of market orientation. We know the market is not perfect. We have seen how the market has distorted pretty much. We needed to have a, a developmental state that will recognize and address the historical imbalances. So that from a yes, conceptual point of view, but, but that, hear me out, from a conceptual point of view, from where I'm sitting, there's no doubt about it. Let's remove or isolate the conceptual orientation of the role of the state in relation to contextual issues around redress, unemployment, poverty, and so on and so forth. And, and moving away from the ability of the state to deliver, because ultimately, ultimately, I mean, the incompetence of the state, as you've as you've put it out, has been behind the inability for 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 I would imagine for a more robust recovery. Wouldn't you agree no, with me on that? I, I, no, I fundamentally disagree. Um, it's not the, the 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 nature of the state; it's the position of the state that has been the problem in South Africa. Uh, we, we do need uh, economic redress, but the, the putting the state front and center, as has been the case over the past 10 years, um, we started with, let's call it a capable state or a more capable state. And over this last 10 years, instead of seeing the successes that a capable state or a semi-capable state would deliver, we've we've seen a deterioration of the state, the structure that you want to fix the problem is the problem itself. If we look at what happened, I'm not euphoric about the Mbeki era. Don't get me wrong. There were fundamental problems there, but at least we had some economic growth. There's no euphoria. There's no nostalgia. There's no yearning for better days because of rose-tinted spectacles. It's clear, cold, hard data. When the state spent less than it got in, in other words, when it limited its ambition and its activity, because state activity and state expenditure are very, very closely connected. If we go back to the era of Trevor Manual when the state was limited in its ambition and in its fiscal responsibility outshone most governments even today, we saw economic growth and we saw the creation of jobs. In 1994, about 4 million black South Africans in jobs 
10 years later in 2004, that's closer to 10 million. So we need to not get stuck in theoretical debates about conceptualization of the state here or there. That's, that doesn't put food on the table. The question is, what can be done to put food on the table? And we can, of course, give the state a role. And this, in, in, in my understanding, in my persuasion uh, of ideology, the state is there to be the buffer between the poorest and the cruel creative destruction, but often necessary destruction of the market. That's the position where the state must be. So it is a humanitarian necessity to have the state. But if you are going to say that the conceptualization of a developmental state is necessary to economic growth in South Africa, I think that is just patently not the case. If that were the case, we wouldn't be underperforming by more than 50% our emerging market peers around the world. Look at Botswana, look at Mauritius, two African countries that have similar state capacity or incapacity to a greater or a larger extent, but because they have a restricted or they have a restricted uh, state role in the economy, because they have fiscal responsibility, because the president of Botswana shortly after taking office said the growth of the public sector suffocates the job creation of the private sector. That on a developmental state level, is very comparative, and yet the results are fundamentally different. The problem in South Africa has been both that the state has been put as the creature to drive the cart, to drag the cart, but also that it is a sickly creature. Both of those things have led us to this state of catastrophe, and poor South Africans will continue to pay the price until we realize that. There you are. I mean, if you've just joined us, I'm a very, having a very fascinating conversation, which I think is quite productive because you get to learn more and more about the diverse nature of how we interpret and how we intend, we intend to move forward with very chronic, um, you know, socioeconomic situation that we see, uh, that we find ourselves in. I'm joined online by Herman Pretorius, who's an executive director at the Institute for Race Relations. Do weigh in on our conversation. I implore you. I'm sure you've got lots and lots of questions in your mind that you would want to put through, particularly to, 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 to Herman. I'm sure he'll be happy to respond to any of your SMSs. Our SMS line is 34519. The telegram is 0618951010. And do, uh, you know, of course, my, my email, my, 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 uh, uh, email address is nimrod at highfm.co.za. Uh, as we, 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 probably wrap up this particular conversation. One of the biggest cost driver, not cost driver, but economic driver, which has been identified by the president's economic and reconstruction recovery plan is that of infrastructure investment, which is meant to, you know, unlock over a trillion rands of infrastructure investments, you know, through enabling the private sector to build capacity in the country. What is your position from that key lever through which if we were to leverage appropriately, you're more likely to, uh, you know, to unlock about a trillion rands in the, in, in the economy. Mm. And over and above other economic drivers such as the presidential stimulus and the energy, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, stimulus or the, the, you know, the, as well as tourism recovery green economy and food security. So that on its own is quite massive. What is the position? Is this a pie in the sky, as you think, or, or personally, what are the biggest issues that we need to intensify? I mean, the, the conversation, Hammond, for me, 
and for everyone who's listening to the show, it it has to be on the way forward. We 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 can all go back yes. as as far as back as you want, and nobody and that on its own, it's like it's like you know. I mean, it doesn't really add value. The listener, anybody who mm. wants to take this country forward, and says, what are the concrete solutions that you put them forward, and how many you know? Yeah. How do you leverage all the might? brains, social, economic capital that we can all put together to make this country work. Yes. No, I, I, I think that that is the, the trillion rand question. Um, perhaps one remark is to say that those who do not understand history are doomed to repeat its mistakes. So when we look at history, we don't look at it to, you know, wish we were there or wish we were somewhere else. It is to understand what worked, what didn't. And there are a few quite firm conclusions that we can draw from that. But perhaps on an ideological point, I should make clear that we are here talking about the fundamental clash of ideology, of, of a command control economy or a market-driven economy. And I am very, very much in favor of a market-driven economy, not because I believe I am wiser or smarter than anyone else, but because the one thing that the market can do that the state cannot is it can make mistakes with limited consequences. It can, of course, make mistakes with massive consequences, but the wisdom of the free market is that it is a laboratory of choice, that you can have Coca-Cola and Pepsi and, you know, uh, whatever brand of, of, of fizzy drink compete, and you don't have to be committed to, you don't have to have all your eggs in one basket. And the free market offers that. The free market is a great laboratory for solutions that the state cannot be. If the state is the driver of solutions, that means it's an all eggs in one basket approach. If you have the market be there with the state as a buffer to protect the poor and the vulnerable against those experiments in the market laboratory that goes wrong, then you don't have to have all your eggs in one basket. In fact, you get a few extra chickens and a few extra baskets. So if we are to understand going forward what needs to be the case, then we must look, as you say, at infrastructure and power develop, uh, power supply and, and distribution. On infrastructure, I think the most positive development that can come out of it manifests in two ways. Firstly, yes, get the private sector involved in the construction and funding of infrastructure, but then let the private sector or at least public-private partnerships, as is the case with the Hull train, maintain the management of that infrastructure. We're, for example, a water-poor country, but because much of the infrastructure is in the hands of the state, the one all eggs in one basket approach, the failure is, the, 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 the consequence of failure is enormous. And we see, for example, liters and kiloliters of water loss because infrastructure is managed by a failing entity. I don't want to give simplistic trope answers, but if we are going to move forward, we must understand 
that South Africans deserve the right to know that what they earn is securely theirs. It won't be taken away from them in taxes. It won't be taken away from them in uh, through expropriation without compensation. Once we have that secure, then we can start making work pay. The next question is then, how do we make work pay? How can we make sure that social grants do not become the, the you know, the, 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 the toxic trap of poverty? And that must mean creating the freedom for people to easily enter the labor market. And things like that, we must reconsider the minimum wage or at least how the minimum wage is enforced because there cannot be a coincidence that the greatest step up and strengthening of the minimum wage in 2019 saw a tragic escalation in unemployment. If we are going to be practical, we need to open the market to things for things like electricity generation. Why have a failing monopoly when that failing monopoly can be saved and occupy a significant segment of the market, but not dominate it as a monopoly. That's the first thing is open the market on energy. Secondly, free up labor regulation. Thirdly, make infrastructure effective by having public-private partnerships. And then finally, make work pay by fundamentally rethinking social grants. If, Nimrod, if we do those things within five to ten years or even sooner, we will not recognize this country because it will become a vibrant, successful, great country. The country it can be and should be. Thank you very much, um, Herman. I mean, those are very interesting um, perspectives. Um, I suppose any view needs to can only be harnessed through a very rigorous um, dialogue session. And as we're wrapping up, I mean, I would have wanted more and more time just to take you on on some of the issues that you put forward. I mean, for an example, I mean, I I don't believe in it, in the dichotomy of you know uh, common. I mean, uh, I mean uh, uh, a controlled economy versus you know, uh, market economy. That economy does not exist uh, because we have had successful first world countries who are not purely market driven, let alone, uh, uh, you know, a uh, uh, state control. There's always a middle ground. That's something that perhaps maybe in future we may look at successful countries that have used the dual model you know, uh, which transcend just merely, merely an academic exercise, which find expression in programmatic, uh, conceptualization and implementation. Anyway, that's for, for me, that's the, that's food for thought because there's really value and we can't reduce any conversation on either or. Because for me, that's very simplistic and it does not really, yes. uh, recognize the, we have to nuance the conversation. You know, I mean, um, we, we all are very I, passionate. I agree. I agree. We, we're very passionate about ideological inclination. We're very passionate about the, the, the roots that informs our thinking. Be that as it may, COVID-19 has literally obliterated every single thing. We are in a new normal. We therefore cannot be perpetuating the thinking which was relevant five months ago. Or even two years ago. Exactly. It doesn't, it exactly. doesn't work anymore. That's, you know? So, yes, so we that's, need to... that's why the, the president's plan is so bad because it falls exactly into that trap. I'm for, I'm all for a mixed economy, but then we must 
um, understand uh, where we are going to draw those lines. No market is absolutely free. I agree. That is an inhumane way to go about it. For example, in South Africa, on the point of water, if we were just to give the market free reign, if we took scarcity and demand into account, we would say, oh, fine, water should be very expensive. And then we, we will say, well, sorry, if you can't afford it, you die. I'm not for that. I think that there is, of course, a role for the state. But the problem is that there's a, there's a, there's a balance that we must find that the ANC, um, as clear, as made clear in this last plan of theirs, uh, is not seeking to find. Thank you very much, Herman. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. It has been an absolute pleasure to host you, and you've always given us food for thought. You've always uh, left no stone attained in terms of giving us your 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 intellect, your your thinking, uh, based on 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 how on how you conceive issues. And I'm sure the listeners, whether may, whether they like what you've said or not, it's immaterial. The point is you have put a a perspective. You know, to the on the table for people to consume, reflect on, and perhaps maybe you know uh, come back to you and say, "Well, how many of you had a point here? We like this, but in real terms, how does it work?" The problem in this Absolutely. country, you know, the problem in this country, we need to transcend just merely, you know, you know, advancing rhetorical or or nice to have thoughts. What we need in the main is practical approaches to very complex social economic issues. If you could find, if you could spend, you know, 90% of our time in designing programs, approaches and plans, 90%, 10% in thinking because we've got all the brains in this country, the problem is in implementation. We need to harness, you know, the kinds of brain power, the faculties that you have, as a, as, as a community, bring business, bring labor, bring civil society organization, bring everybody on the table because everybody's got to give something. You cannot have a system that is driven by one or two players and expect everybody, you know, mm-hmm. to push over the wheel. It will never work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, it yeah. will never work. That's the reality. That's what I implore you and everybody else that I've had a conversation with, let's bring everybody else. The solution in this country lies in collaboration. Unfortunately, can I believe it? You and I will have a, a drink uh, after this. Uh, did you stock up? Were you among the South Africans that were jumping up and down now that the booze was open? Unfortunately <laughs> not. I, I, I wish I was. No, thank you very much, my brother. It has been absolute pleasure. There you are. We had a very fascinating conversation with Herman Pretorius, who's an executive director at the at the Institute for Race Listen. Once again, thank you for gracing this particular show with your insight. It has been productive. Beyond Governance was brought to you by Plus94 Research, the science of decision making. 